This is the 108th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about the paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me is my dear co-host Christopher Wikström. Shout out to Robin Svensson out ill for the night. Welcome to you, dear listener. Hello, everybody. I hope you're doing well. And Robin, you know, the snow and cold gets to all of us. It does indeed. The Stockholm Legacy Report can be found whenever we release on the top decked app and as just heard we are recording from a blasting chilly sweden it's minus 12 13 centigrade the snow has been falling thick it's truly ice age feelings over here yeah it's uh it's terrible local hopes is just around the corner and I think that there might be a polar kraken lurking in the lake that I have a slight tiny view of from my windows sitting here. But we're not going to talk about geology or zoology tonight. We're going to talk about MTG Legacy Paper. Since it's only one of us here, and I previously did declare that I would have a lot less time during these weeks to play, you are the only one who have something to bring to what did we play discussion christopher what did you play last thursday i decided to sleeve up grixis delver what you know i love me a tempo deck and uh, it doesn't really feel like a delver deck it feels like this sort of mid-range deck that has this unreasonably good tempo like aggro plan also it's kind of like when those uh, you know four color slash grixis control decks just had the potential to beat the opponent to a pulp early or just play these unreasonable threats from turn three onward so yeah i, pl- I played that why did you play that this is like a good deck what are you what are you doing yeah like i'd been on a on a grind recently with a, a lot of Aluren, and uh, I decided to play uh, Doomsday one week. And I was just thinking, man, I really want to just play a turn one fret and daze someone. You know, I, I really love the old Canadian Threshold tempo decks, you know, really low to the ground. But the variations that play Rug now, I don't have any Questing Beasts. Uh, no, Questing Druids. I don't have questing beasts either, I'm afraid, but I don't have those druids. So I was just looking towards the second best thing, which might actually be a stronger deck. I don't know. (laughs) I'm actually not sure right now. I think both of these decks are kind of attacking on the same angle, but in different ways. They're both cool. Uh, Sure. Well, we'll see. What did you play against round one and how did that go? My round one opponent was Doomsday. But this was a twist because it was a four-color Doomsday deck. And game one, you know, I just had a pretty typical good good time Delver deck. Like the classic, uh, I play some threats and I disrupt them. You know, I land a well-timed Wasteland and I daze the one ring and I just get beats in. So I thought, you know, I was up against some four-color control deck. And in game two, my opponent resolves a pretty quick doomsday. (laughs) And they have uh, one of those, you know, win the same turn hands. So they don't even pass. It's it's not a pass pile. It was around maybe turn two or three or something. But, you know, this was kind of like the cold shower after game one. You know, you feel invincible. You're playing this tempo deck and everything's just lining up. So now when I understand what i'm up against game three is going to be very different for sure i land some threats because actually playing doomsday demands uh, half of your life so the lower i can get that and disrupt the potential you know past the pile opportunity for them the better situation like actually 
viable strategy getting your opponent's life total closer to zero yeah and like the the benefit of playing grixis is that you are also playing orcish bowmaster which makes the past turn piles they might feel a lot better but if you don't have to draw into the pile immediately but the bowmaster kind of tries to shut shut off the opportunity for your opponent to you know just go off the same turn yeah, sure sure if you get them yeah it, it gets it gets tricky so i get some frets in early i get a i think drc or delver and a bowmaster so i'm sitting there slowly beating my opponent a wasteland here or there and my opponent is at 11 life i'm gonna say what four cards i have in my hand and i want you to on a scale one to ten say how dead my opponent is i have double days force of will and price of progress this is against a four color doomsday deck it sounds good i would guess that your opponent is at a good 72 plus percentage point of being dead even if they would try and resolve something nasty they can't really go for the they didn't know about the price of progress but what can they do like their best chance of winning is probably a shield red at this point which i'm i'm gonna fight over but the price of progress is just so nasty i play it end of turn after my opponent did can't remember if it was like a ponder setting up you know getting pinged mm-hmm. by the bowmaster and past the turn i just casually put a price of progress on the stack and they extend their hand yeah <laughs> so like yeah it's uh, it's pretty rough price of progress is one of those cards that just i mean it's never bad i guess but when it's good it's just horribly good and it's it's like it's one of those cards that's played sort of not enough for you to always feel the gotcha right no like i i agree completely and you know we've had a large upswing in lands players and depths players so i'm i'm thinking this price of progress card (laughs) might might put in some work in some otherwise very tricky matchups next round is against the red and white initiative Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i can't remember who won game one the one game of the first two that i lost was one of those classic games where your opponent just puts a cavern on human puts uh, a human into play and casually some turns later you know no they put it on warrior to get an uncountable rabble master into play mm-hmm. and then some turn some turn later they just casually play an uncountable winoda yeah i took 40 plus damage like it that turn it, like <laughs> i had no chance of winning it, you know it, Ooh, it's, it's they put four yeah like they put four triggers on the stack i think they dig six cards per trigger and they get to put a, a creature i can't remember if it's human but it doesn't matter like they have so many nasty targets the one the, the game that I won out of the first two, I just delvered my opponent. This is gonna be a theme when you know <laughs> I won with Delver. You get oh, to, well, we all know what that looks like. You get to, you know, slap them with a wasteland, you get to suddenly just have a seven seven eight eight Merc Tide, and suddenly all of their, you know, scary creatures like Caves of Chaos Adventure or, you know, Seasoned Engineer, do they really want to give me the initiative? (laughs) (laughs) But also, what else can their deck do? Game three, both of us are playing, uh, like, applying a lot of pressure. And I think I might have lost game two because I think I might have been on the play game three. So I get a a Delver in very early and it flips. And my opponent puts in a pretty fast 
Fable of the Mirror Breaker, followed by a seasoned engineer. Mm -hmm. Since I'm applying damage first, but they have bigger creatures in play, I'm thinking, how can I use this to my advantage? We end up in a situation where my opponent puts Magus of the Moon on the stack, and they have one treasure. I have killed their previous Goblin Shaman, like the uh, Goblin token that generates tokens. So they have one treasure. And they have zero cards in hand and a seasoned dungeoneer in play, which have attacked already. And the seasoned dungeoneer has this uh, explore ability, which lets them reveal the top card. And they can choose to put in the graveyard or keep it on top. And they kept a one out on top. Me dacing this Magus will force them to use their only white mana. Because if the Magus resolves, they won't have any white mana. They won't even have four mana. So... I put a dace on the stack and they have just flipped their Fable of the Mirror Breaker. So they're in the tank and decide to pay for the Magus because they have a read which is correct that I'm sitting on Bolt. So they pay for it because I'm going to Bolt the reflection of Kikijiki or whatever it's called. So they pay for it because now they get a body in one turn quicker. Yep. Yep. And they're correct. The Magus resolves and I Bolt the Mirror Breaker. But since they have zero cards in hand, all the information is available to me. Yeah. This line was forced and winning. Didn't matter if they if they paid or not, I think. It ends up with me attacking with Delver, forging the Delver into a 5-4 flying. And I have my Orcish Bowmaster from some turn earlier, ready to shump the Magus and go down to three or two life. And the opponent knows that they are about to take five in the air and five from the trap. So it's game over. It's a very close game. Like all of these Lovely. games are always Lovely. close. That was uh, that was spooky. Good deck and a good player's hand. I mean, older listeners will <laughs> reminisce when we've sort of earlier asked you to sort of, so what happens if a player like you with all the skills that you have play an actually good deck? What's that going to look like? And I guess these end games that we're looking for. I actually did play this deck the week prior. Uh, We didn't record and I was totally destroyed each round. So don't get fooled, listeners. (laughs) No, no, no. But I mean, you were having probably the pre sort of the tingles before you get that cold, right? And uh, now you had that cold. And so now you're sort of actually in shape. It was only warm ups, right? I I can call it, you know, I need to warm up. You know, you can't just go to the to the heaviest, what is it called? The press when you're at the gym. You can't just go and do the heaviest exercises. Mm-hmm. You need to warm yeah. up. And that was me getting destroyed a week before this. Round three opponent is against Stifle Knot. And this is Bug Stifle Knot. And it's such a juicy list. God, this is a spicy evening. <laughs> I love yeah. how like also like you, you see the uptick in lands and, and stifle nodes when just super recently we had these large paper tournaments in which these decks performed nowhere. <laughs> and this stifle knot player, like they're two I, I was gonna say they're two oh, so hey. And this list is so cool. And game one is is very nasty. This deck has gotten some cool additions recently. One is not super recently, and it's uh, the, I think it's Lazav or something that can become a copy of a, a card in, a, in your graveyard, a creature card. Yeah. But they also play one of these new ones that also loots 
and have a similar ability. Mm. So they have practically eight ways to transform one of their creatures in play into a dreadnought. But this is bug, so they also have Uro. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) They make a copy of an Uro. (laughs) And I'm sitting there, you know, man... This is a pretty good card against Delver. Sort of. I had applied a bit of pressure earlier, but I, I knew that the sweet music was about to stop playing. But worry not, I had Merktide in hand. So I just play an 8-8 and it kills the opponent. <laughs> <laughs> like it's Uru is great. I've been on that side more often. But sometimes when they get to apply enough pressure, it doesn't matter that's the power of Merktide. The power of Uro is, you know, the inevitability of the late game. But they have to get there. Game two, I'm getting nasty again. But this time it's not a Merktide. We play some... I, I keep a free land hand. And it's free wasteland. And I waste my opponent's tropical. I top deck a volcanic. So I get to play a Dragon Rage Handler. I waste another tropical. And later, I waste a bayou. My opponent gets to get a Dreadnought into the graveyard, but at this point, they're not able to make a copy of it. They can't pay. Like, they have one of these Lazav-esque creatures in play, Mm -hmm. but they don't have the mana to get the Dreadnought into play and make a copy. So I get to Surgical, their Dreadnoughts, and you know what I find out when, when I'm looking through their deck no i have wastelanded all green sources Ooh, that's a nice feeling i get to see an uro in hand and i'm like whoo that's uh that's gonna that's gonna stay there <laughs> they actually you know there might be some ways where they can do some things but you know it's very hard winning yeah, from there yeah, and yeah. naturally they they couldn't nope. because this is still grixis delver that can operate on all axes yeah so my last round opponent is on Jeskai Control, and I'm actually down paired, and my opponent is 2-1. I lost to this player the week prior on this exact same matchup, but they played a slightly harder configuration for me to beat that that time. They played the, the RIP Energy Flux version, <laughs> and uh, Rest in Peace is pretty damn good against Delver. <laughs> you know, DRC and Merktide, like Merktide is a very expensive free-free. Yep. Game one, I put some pressure on. My opponent is playing around Bowmaster very well. But uh, this does not prevent me from putting one into play anyways and just dacing Teferi and getting in. Like, I think my opponent played Swords to Plowshares on maybe a Delver or something, and this makes a resolved Merktide very hard to beat. So yeah, game one was pretty, pretty fast. In game two, my opponent slowly but surely starts getting ahead. And this is always tricky when you're playing from behind. And my sideboard doesn't really have that many anti-control cards like a lot of control decks that we might see nowadays might play loam and a greedy mana base and stuff like that so you know wasteland and price of progress might be good but my opponent plays main deck blood moon they play a lot of basics so i actually board out all four wastelands because i'm not hitting anything with those in all of our games i think i see two lands that i could have wastelanded mm. in like yep. all three games yep. and this might be a spoiler that i didn't win game game two 
since we played three games. It didn't sound uh, sort of the way you f- framed game two here. It's pretty obvious that yeah. you were not going to win that game. Yeah, a lot of things go bad. My opponent just slowly but surely gets ahead, eventually takes that game. And I remember talking to him the week prior. He plays one Supreme Verdict in the main and a second copy in the sideboard. And this is especially hard for Delver to deal with. Maybe you can, you know, sit back and relax on your frets a bit, but also that's not really a position you want to be in. Can I just say that I've always loved that Supreme Verdict is actually a card in Legacy? It's great. I find it so seriously unlikely, you know, that a, well, now it's an older card, but it was, you know, a big card in Standard when I returned to Magic when sort of a year prior to the release of this card and of course it was good in standard at the time but now that we have this four mana sorcery in two different colors making sort of still having a place in legacy i love that i think people might have not really appreciated it at the time because when it was printed we had countertop terminus yeah so uh, you know there were other ways cheaper ways to pretty much do the same thing or just floating a terminus on the top of your library it's it's like impossible for some beats like some decks to beat that but supreme verdict these days you know it's a great rate and uh, if your plan is i can't lose to scam or delver like getting to four mana knowing that you're sort of safe is a very good feeling yep so i i i'm totally behind that getting crushed by this opponent the weak before i was scared of those verdicts i think they killed me with the comet stellar pup in game two (laughs) they rolled they rolled a six on their first you know (laughs) the first of course (laughs) enter the battlefield and then i think the second die rolled dome me for whatever it is maybe six or something and they picked up a supreme verdict and i was just like yeah it's over (laughs) it's over (laughs) game three we have a very it's this is a boxing match and we're both just trying to get small jabs in every time like every opportunity we have i get to play a hydroblast on their stellar pup but victor we're running into a problem Mm -hmm. that is at this point in time i have stabilized i have a fret which is not an efficient clock it's a, I think it's a token from a bowmaster. Yeah, no, that's not going to cut it. It's weak, but I'm, I'm getting some beats in. I have five lands in play. We're in a position where I'm like, I think I have this game because my hand is like counter magic, like both hydroblast, pyroblast. I have a spell pierce and a bolt. And I have this thing in play and my opponent doesn't really have all that much going on. But from here on, until the turn I unfortunately lose. <gasps> I draw five cards. There are four lands. <sighs> and this is me playing a 19 land deck cutting four wastelands. <laughs> from... So I'm, I'm sitting there. And after I lost, I just, I, I flipped my deck and I looked. And I have one fetch land left in the entire deck and around 35 spells. <laughs> And I'm just like, man, we had this situation in the match where I put a an 8-8 Merktide into play and passed the turn. And my opponent just peeled a Pyroblast from the top. Nice. But, you know, 
It happens. <laughs> it happens. I still got the free one. And there were some really fun things happening at the local game store. And this has a lot to do with a certain Lord of the Rings character's very fast reflex system. Mm-hmm. So we actually, the most represented deck this evening was Infect. And both players were playing the full playset of Legolas Quick Reflexes. Of course. But I think there were more decks playing this card. I think a Depths player played it. And it was uh, there were some other things. And the player going 4-0 this evening played Jund Natural Order, which is beautiful. Like the TLDR, just imagine that you're playing against a pretty mid-rangey rock deck. Like it's green-black, it's playing some Grists. It's playing all of that good stuff. And out of nowhere, you have this... Minsk and Boo and Natural Order package. Oh wow! And it worked. Oh wow! Yeah. So that was that was super cool uh, to see. Oh, lovely. Well, I'm gonna try my best to add to this flavor the next time I get to play, which will be this week at the time of recording. Meaning this has already happened when you listen to this. I will be bringing not my usual necromantic tendencies to the tables, but I will play Carn Post. And I look forward to sort of how much I'm going to fail with that in the beginnings, because this is me sort of looking at this deck for basically the first time. But it's also at the same time, I think, going to be super fun when the deck comes together. I'm calling it now. I think Victor is going to have a positive record. Oh, wow. Because people are, people are going to sit there and expect this Grizzlebrand, yeah. turn one, draw 14. <laughs> yeah. You win the die roll and they keep a double force hand. They're feeling great. And you just put a tapped cloud post into play and they're just, <laughs> you can feel the soul leaving their body. Like, I think this deck is a perfect complement to what you play. Like, your opponent's like, oh, these counter spells, I need them. <laughs> Listen here, idiot. This is a cloud post. <laughs> Well, thank you for that vote of confidence. We will see how we turn that one out next time we record. And that is all (laughs) we have for this episode. Indeed, very nice to look forward to new decks getting played. Have you tried any new decks recently? If so, you can talk to us about your positive experiences whether they be in actual results or just vibes in our discord you can find the link in the episode description we're also available on x at sthlmlegacy.com legacy personally present on social media as well christopher where can our listeners find you you can find me on monolith mtg and i am on the same platform at Disco Drogo. And that is the end of the 108th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Christopher Fikström. I am Victor Berhens. Many thanks to you for listening. The great Frenus has written our music. You can find more of their work on Spotify. Until our next episode, just think about where we would be in Legacy at this moment if we never have had Lord of the Rings.